Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a post-apocalyptic Earth on which humans have been divided into immortal beings called Eternals and a mortal slave class called Brutals, who grow grain which the Eternals use to bake special bread. Right. Danny Moran, a member of the Brutal Exterminators, defies me, the giant floating stone head that gives him orders, and strives to uncover the secrets of this strange world. Oh, right. Sorry, sorry. hang on, wait. I've, I've just gone and confused our podcast with Sean Connery's 1974 mystical sci-fi film <laughs> Zardoz. Right. This Zardoz. is really just a podcast where we sit about and review films. Um, I, just, I think I just had Zardoz on the brain <laughs> when I came in. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me in his knee-high leather boots and a kind of large red nappy is my friend Danny Moran. Hello. On this episode of Film Chat, you've seen the spy who loved me. You've seen the spy who came in from the cold. You've seen Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. But have you seen Spy? It doesn't matter because we have and we will be reviewing it. Plus, I look at Mumblecore's founding father, Andrew Bujalski's latest film results. Are the characters introspective? Are the problems petty and trivial? Does the soundtrack feature a lot of generic acoustic guitar-based ballads? Yes, yes, and less than you'd think. We also check in on the latest news concerning Clint Eastwood, Chris Pine and Eddie Redmayne. And then I deliver my lecture on why Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, is by far and away Zack Snyder's best film. Which Katie has sworn to me will make the podcast. I love Gahul. <laughs> it's the best one. Yeah, I can't wait to hear your lecture on that. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> like... I think why are you looking at me is the moment when it cuts to the, the theme music. <laughs> Listeners, um, I'm interrupting the scheduled <laughs> correspondence section to uh, bring you a live film chat argument. Katie thinks that we read the intro bit. No, um, no I'm fine. Katie loves how I do it. But Katie thinks Danny reads it too quickly. So uh, what do you think? That's yeah. just another thing that you can write in and let us know about. 
too quickly? Danny too quick? Did he need to slow down? Is, is he unintelligible? Um, <laughs> I mean, that was unintelligible. Yeah, but... Sorry. Yeah. I'll slow down to how Katie wants me to talk. Um, yeah, the future of film chat may rest on your messages, guys, so... Right. Write in and let us know. We've had some people contact Film Chat this week, which is nice. Nice. I like, like it when that happens. So we've had a email from Georgia Mills. She says the following. Dear Film Chat, long time caller, first time listener. Oh, Georgia. I was recently on a long plane journey, so I had time to catch up on all the films. Some of the films had been edited, so they weren't too rude or gratuitous. One, Ex Machina, had silences instead of swears and pixelated nudity. While another, Kingsman, had less offensive words just dubbed over instead. Rear instead of arse, heck instead of hell. This sounded totally bizarre. ITV do this sort of thing all the time, cutting out grisly deaths from films like Jaws and Jurassic Park. So my question is, can there be a right way to censor a movie, and should they ever be edited at all? Georgia. It's an interesting question, Georgia. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe sometimes... If you're a kid and uh, you're a bit too young to watch someone's face melt off in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something, but you still can enjoy the generally quite childish romping about that constitutes most of that film. Sure. You know, why not? Yeah, I agree. You know. Um, I mean, it's a bit annoying for the viewer sometimes, and it can be a bit intrusive. Yeah. And, And also sometimes it's just done... You know, it's in a country where they don't like to see sex or they think it'll, like, destroy their population or something like that, and it seems very, very ridiculous, but... Censorship yeah. ever a good thing. Have you ever... Have you had any, um, you know, experiences of prominent, weird uh, censorship in movies I you're watching? I once watched uh, The Departed in India, and they... The way they got around it was they cut out the actual death, so people would point guns at people and it cut to them on the floor bleeding. <laughs> so, like, the bleeding was okay. So it was just really surreal. Just, like... The gunshots. It's like um, it's like some sort of Boonwell film instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a sort of Truffaut. There's a. I, I saw. I remember saw a Guardian article once that had a list of um, the most hilarious like replacements, and uh, one of them was from um, The Departed. I don't know if it was the version you were watching, but um, it's Mark Wahlberg in a in a scene where you know he spends like the whole movie being angry and swearing at people and yeah. stuff and some very creative person had to go in and like redo his dialogue and the person who dubbed his voice sounds absolutely nothing like him so i'm gonna, I'm gonna dig that out and send it to katie so she can insert that clip here an idea about what we do we would not be good at what we do would we we would be sloppy you calling us sloppy staff sergeant dignam has a style of his own i'm afraid we all have to get used to it Hilarious clip. <laughs> wow, well done for me for finding it, and thank you, Katie, for remembering to put it in. <laughs> There's also another classic one, uh, which I'm also going to find, um, <laughs> of Samuel L. Jackson. He's got a very famous line in Snakes on a Plane, uh, where he says, I'm sick of these mother-effing snakes on this mother-effing plane. You're censoring yourself, though. But so. he doesn't say effing. He says the rudest word that sounds like that. <laughs> I will not repeat it. But I won't say it. I won't. I will, I will never say it. Um but that was another moment of inspiration from whoever designed the uh, clean version of that line. So Katie will insert that here. (laughs) Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! Another wonderful clip. Thank you, Katie. Um, yes. So does that answer your question? Probably. I, I don't know. know. It's probably, well, we certainly discussed the topic of the question. I mean, don't think we really What do you it. want from us, Mills? Come on, Mills! Chris posted on our Facebook page today an exciting trailer for a new film. 
Uh, it's called Everly. He describes it as a biopic of the Everly brothers, which makes you wonder whether he watched the trailer himself before um, putting it on there. I don't think he did. Because I don't think it's clearly he did, because not it's not. Watch. It's obviously not. It stars Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek seems to be getting in on the act of um, sort of aging stars who just want to be action heroes, and that's the only consideration they have when they sign on to a movie. Like they don't read the script or like yeah. think about kick some ass. how they'll seem. You know, and, uh, they just want to kick ass in some in some form. She's forty eight. So. Yeah, she looks great. Forty-eight. She looks. She's in wonderful shape. You know, just like Sean Penn is probably much better shape than Sean Penn's in. To be honest, uh, I'm not sure if I'd um, say I'm like super keen to see this movie. But I'm like, do you want to see like a movie with like Sean Penn being old and kicking ass, or like Salma Hayek? I'm like, yeah, go for Salma Hayek any day. Yeah, I would definitely go for Salma Hayek. Except like in this movie, it's looks a bit like it had one tenth of the budget of the gunman. <laughs> also, all the people she's fighting are sort of sexy women in heels and like like strange erotic costumes which makes me think that maybe it's not the progressive alternative to the gunman like might there's a bit where she puts a gun in her cleavage just to keep it there yeah and then she's like holster she's in the bathroom and she's tooling up in her underwear and then she kind of the the camera really lingers on the bathroom mirror as she walks away from it yeah so final note last week i did something i now regret we were talking about dr strange and we sort of discussed we, we that's a funny sounding it. name we giggled we giggled a little bit about Doctor Strange as a name a rare bit of unprofessional giggling from us I, I may have said something like is that a name or that's not a real name or anyone who has that name is a prick or something along something those like lines that. I remember the exact formulation but um, James messaged me to point out that Strange is a real name it's actually quite a common English surname so I felt like a fool and uh, as a kind of penance I went on Wikipedia and I looked up the surname yeah hang on I like how James is just known as James now. He's so he's like this, like the podcast mascot. Yeah, he's just he's messages are so frequently that only one name is required. You know, he needs no introduction. Is he our version of Jason Isaacs from um, Commode's show? Yeah, except you know Jason Isaacs doesn't have the beauty or the talent of James. Jason Isaacs is a fucking pleb compared to James Andrews. This has been a nice it's sort disgusting. of interlude, just like. Um, lavishing praise on James Andrews while I it's physically beautiful while I find mentally it, <laughs> just find the correct surpasses Wikipedia any page. man I know so the Strange probably best known is uh, Steve Strange the same name as Doctor Strange um, from the band Visage yeah. or Visage I don't know he died recently right uh, he did yeah he died this year um, so that should have been in my mind I mean it's just been on the news there's also Susan Strange she's a British political economist a 19th century soldier by the name of Thomas Bland Strange which is a pretty cool name um, <laughs> I like the idea it's like the same with Bland it's like can we give him a more interesting name it's like just put Strange on the end yeah Mr. Like, yeah he had like two, John Bland met his mum and his dad just Sarah couldn't agree about anything yeah. let's call our son Bland let's call him Strange fine we'll compromise other notable strangers include Billy Strange an American musician Curtis Strange an American golfer Ian Strange a Falkland Islands writer and naturalist and two aristocrats who hold the title Baron Strange. <laughs> At least four times, someone has founded a barony called Strange. Two of those died out, but there are two existing Baron Strangers right now. Wow. Probably interested to know what their full names are. I am. One of them is called Rodri Colwyn Phillips, the fourth Viscount St. David's, and the 17th Baron Strange. Right. The other one is called uh, Adam Humphrey Drummond of Meginch. The, also the 17th Baron Strange so that's the wow. same number anyway, so my apologies to Adam Humphrey Drummond of Meginch and Rodri Colwyn Phillips the two Baron Strangers we and all the other strangers out there sorry guys 
that's that one's on me. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. First bit of news. American legend man, Clint Eastwood, is <laughs> going to direct a film about uh, Captain Sully, the um, hero who landed the plane in the Hudson River yeah. back in 2009. One American hero Do you think this is- does the story of another American hero. <laughs> They're going to call it American Pilot, probably, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, American Pilot. That's almost certainly going to be the name. Do, do you think, like, after the success of uh, Flight and that Paul Greengrass film, Captain Phillips... People yeah. are just like everyday hero captains. That's just the way to Bam. go. It's one of those news stories that feels like something out of a movie to the point where if you made it into a movie, would it just become, lose what makes it cool? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. too ridiculous to happen in real life, which was, that's what made it so cool. So when you turn it back into a film, it's like... Yeah, also, I don't know, like how many twists are there in this story? You know, the plane starts to crash, he successfully, dramatically lands it. That's like one set piece, isn't it? Right. That's like the last gonna have 20 to minutes. Out. They're going to have to like give him a lot of drug problems or <laughs> you know, make him have to fight terrorists at the beginning or something like that in order to give it the necessary three-act structure. Maybe. I hope um, Cleeswood, because he hasn't been in front of the camera in a while, he should just play Sully, direct himself. Make him oh, like that would be so good. Captain. Yeah. <laughs> Far too old to be a pilot, but they just couldn't get rid of him. Yeah. You know, at the beginning, they're like, you should retire, Sully. And he's like, good, get out. Get out, get out of my plane. <laughs> he's a somewhat patchy director, isn't he? Yeah, but his last film made all the money in the world. Like, American oh, yeah. Sniper was like a huge, it's his biggest hit ever. Yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't really want to. But which makes everyone forget that he made Jersey Boys like two months before and everyone hated it. That's but, true. Like, he just turns out so many movies that, yeah, statistically, I guess a hit is coming along somewhere. He keeps on missing his time to retire in a way. Not that you should like retire on a high, you know, you like give up when you make a really good film. But like he made some Unforgiven, and it was like this culmination of his career. And then it was like, you know, should have that would have been a great movie to go out on. And yeah. then like, there's an immediately made Space Cowboys. He's like, oh god, they had to make like a bunch of shitty movies. And then like he made sort of Gran Torino, which was like a good, yeah, old but, dirty Harry movie. Yeah, but quite silly as well. Quite silly. But like that would have been a good one to go out on. And then like he made like another five movies on that good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, he's kind of a Woody Allen-esque uh, sort of old man um, director who just churns them out. Yeah, you know? And some, sometimes the critics like them and sometimes they think they're terrible. Yeah. Also, I feel like he lost a bit of his cachet after that thing where he spent you know, an hour <laughs> talking to a chair pretending it was pre- President Obama. <laughs> that's how he just directs now. He just, you know, they just sort of put him into a set and he just like hopes some people are there for him to direct. <laughs> Well, he's always telling the furniture off for like not yeah, carrying the scene. Yeah, he's always making movies, properly. but like the crew are there for like three months a year. Like you know, they leave and he's just still there directing. Yeah, he's stuff. doing. He's telling. He's telling people to do things. He's just talking to a chair drawers. That was awful. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. Anyway, well, we'll see. We'll see how that one turns out. Yeah. So earlier today, um, the first announcement for the next edition of the London Film Festival was made. Their opening film is going to be Suffragette which is, to, you won't be surprised to hear, the story of the uh, British women, the suffragette movement in the turn of the century, um, who were fighting for the vote. It uh, stars Carrie Mulligan. A, this is according to The Guardians. Mulligan plays Maud, a housewife who defies her husband, played by Ben Whishaw, and risks losing custody of her children in the struggle for universal suffrage. And Meryl Streep is in it as Emmeline Pankhurst, probably the most famous 
suffragette. Yeah. The co-founder of the Women's Social and Political Union, who undertook hunger strikes and advocated property destruction as a means of protest. And it's uh, written by Abby Morgan, who also wrote The Iron Lady with Meryl Streep. So I guess they had fun collaborating on that. And then, yeah. And they're back with a more sort of uh, straightforwardly feminist film. Yeah. Let's say. And The Iron <laughs> Lady was like, sort. they sort of wanted to do some kind of feminist parable, but pick the worst person to do. Yeah, unfortunately, it was about a really hateful person. So <laughs> that was a sort of a struggle. So Ben Whishaw playing a nasty person in it. What's yes. that about? I mean... It's Paddington, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> goes an adorable talking <laughs> bear. So. Uh, <laughs> Abby Morgan, newsflash. You fucking hired Paddington to be like a dick. <laughs> you cannot cast Paddington as a dick. It's just no one's going to believe it. Yeah, why is that? What's going on? Velvet-throated, beautiful man being so mean to his wife. He should be like Ray Winstone or something. Yeah. They don't know anything about casting. He should be playing one of the suffragettes. Yeah. He could play anything. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, you know, Warner Brothers made all the money in the world of Harry Potter. Yeah. They were like, what else has J.K. Rowling written? Just some, you know, shopping list, post-it note, um, a haiku, anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they've um, got this plan to turn her little comic relief book, which was a sort of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which was a book within Harry Potter, like one of their textbooks, which yeah. was basically just her listing random animals. And they've... She's taken this as an inspiration and she's built like a free movie trilogy based on the author of that it's book. It's three movies? Yeah, they've penciled in three films. Oh, God, I'm already tired. It's just like, uh, yeah. And um, David Yates, who directed the last four Harry Potter movies, is back to direct it. And it will focus on the preeminent wizarding world magi zoologist uh, Newt Scamander, who is now being confirmed as being played by Eddie Redmayne. He's called Newt Scamander. Scamander. So his first name is a lizard, and his surname sounds like Salamander, which is another lizard. Yeah. It's so, like, a lizard, it's like a Remus, Remus Lupin. Like, oh, right, wolf, yeah. wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy might be a wolf. <laughs> Why didn't they connect the dots? Yeah, maybe he turns into a newt or something. Yeah. I mean, it's set 70 years before the events of Harry Potter, so it's right. like some sort of God, so Harry's going to be really young in it. Yeah. He's going to be a, like a baby or something. You know what I hope? I hope he's got some really lame ties to Harry Potter, like in the Hobbit book. It's like, I'm just going to visit my son, Tom Malvolo Riddle. He's quite peculiar. Yeah. Or something, you know. Yeah. He seems yeah. a bit odd, this kid. And <laughs> it's like an evil-looking toddler in the corner or something. I think Michael Gammon should be in it, but just no younger, just the same. <laughs> Like he's been that age for like 150 years. Yeah, he should be off having like this um, gay holiday with um, Grindelwald or whoever it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was called something like that. Yeah, Grindelwald or something. Yeah, he's gay, right? Yeah, uh, Dumbledore. They well, were in love. It, it was implied. Given that his gayness never made it explicitly into the you know original Harry Potter yeah. series, why didn't they include some pretty gay scenes um, with Dumbledore in the Fantastic Beasts? It's going to be like a bunch of hippogriffs, some lizards. There's Eddie Redmayne wandering about, and then like. 
a subplot of like his gay best yeah, mate. Some serious, <laughs> yeah, some serious gay stuff, you know, some strong gay scenes. Some mainstream gay fantasy cinema. That'd be great. That would be great. Uh, that would unambiguously be a, a fantastic thing that I would love to see. Yeah. So the only other thing to add is J.K. Rowling's writing the script herself. Yeah. Which I think is her first foray into screenwriting. screenwriting. Yeah, she's writing three of them. Three of them. Bold move, Rowling. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, uh, Results, which is the new film by Andrew Bujalski, who is sort of seen as the founding member of Mumblecore. American which, indie film legend. Yeah, though he hates the term Mumblecore, but um, the film's defined by sort of realism and mumbling by just means people talk like normal people, slightly like lo-fi style. Yeah, they kind of hang around they and hang around, they discuss sort of, their problems. and Precisely. And his last film um, was Computer Chess, which did very well. That was a cool movie. Which is a strange film worth checking out. I think it's on Netflix, actually. Is it? And um, this is by far his biggest movie because he could buy some tripods and there's actors you've heard of in the film. Wow. And I thought it was going to get a cinematic release because it's got some famous people in it. It's got Guy Pearce and it's got um, Kobe Schmolders. Oh, right. Wow. Um, from Avengers and How I Met Your Mother. Uh, but it just hasn't. So it's just gone on straight onto iTunes. That, sound, that sounds like um, they funded it as a cinematic release and then they didn't like the product or something. Yeah. Maybe so. Um, so the plot is uh, a recently divorced, newly rich and utterly miserable Danny, played by Kevin Corrigan, who you might know from The Departed. He's got a very distinct face. I don't know. Google him. Uh, he seems to have the... Aggressive tone you're adopting for this movie. Would seem to have the perfect test subject for a definitive look at the relationship between money and happiness. Danny's well-funded ennui is interrupted by a momentous trip to the local gym where he meets self-styled guru-slash-owner Trevor, played by Guy Pearce, and irresistible acerbic trainer Kat, played by Kobe Smulders. She Kat, sounds wonderful. She does. Uh, Kat becomes Danny's personal trainer, and but she's also got this pre-existing relationship with Trevor where they had an affair and there was on-off friendship romance thing and before long their free lives are inextricably knotted and it's basically like a sort of freehander relationship drama and the sort of results title and the sort of um, gym setting it's basically this theme of uh, trying to make yourself a different person oh so I like that's see. the okay. sort of thematic thrust of the movie yeah so yeah i really enjoyed this film it's good it's, it's kind of hard to get enthusiastic about because the film's aim is to be like a very lo-fi like a melodrama where no one shouts at each other. Right, okay. So yeah. it's hard to be super excited by it because you imagine... There's just intense mumbling. There's just, yeah, there's just like well-observed character beats, some slightly amusing stuff, you know. It never really peaks your emotional register above about seven. Okay. But yeah, it, uh, it succeeds on its own terms, I would say. What was good about it, I thought, was that the quite broad strokes on the page like danny who's the sort of the miserable loser characters like this overweight balding guy guy pierce is the sort of physical opposite and kobe smaller's character is somewhere in between but as the film goes on you realize it's much more um cleverly written and the performances are just really good and they're very well-rounded characters okay yeah and it avoids just like the easy jokes of like you know a crazy gym guy like i can imagine like a version where like Mark Wahlberg was playing the Guy Pearce character and it would just be like some over-the-top caricature. Yeah. And they all do a really good job of um, seeming authentic without being boring, but um, entertaining and entertaining without being caricatures. Right, yeah. And like that's like a hard balance to strike. 
and my sort of big complaint with the movie would be like the film isn't as successful at doing that as a whole because there's something somewhat like resolutely uncinematic about the whole mumblecore genre yeah it's just um it feels just naturally quite stagey and it's like you know uh it's dedication to realism has its merits but also its downsides and i'd say that's fully on show in this film so it doesn't have the kind of stylists and uh the stylized nature of computer chess no it's a bit more don't know how to describe it just a bit more conventional maybe right There's, like yeah. there are like some cinematic moments in it but it's just um just mainly sort of dialogue scenes like quite lengthy dialogue driven movie um but what's sort of good about the realist aspect of it is that it sets up this like oddball relationship drama and then sort of subverts your expectation by having what would actually happen happen I so see, it's like right. you, you think it's like a movie relationship and then it like reveals itself to be like a real relationship oh i see yeah uh, it's refreshing because it doesn't have that sort of cookie cutter formula and it's the there's a very clever job of sort of seamlessly switching between the three characters perspective are you really noticing I see, if you yeah. think like one person's the main character and it becomes like this other thing and you realize it's a really even-handed drama without ever seeming like off balance there's a bit where like one character disappears for like 40 minutes and doesn't feel like an oversight of the movie's forgotten about a character is just cleverly plotted enough that it all comes together okay and um but at the same time, I kind of wish the movie had taken a bit more dramatic license with the realistic aspect. There's like a tendency for four scenes to cover the same kind of ground. And though it sort of rings true, it's a bit like I wish you would have just maybe taken a few more liberties in one other scene and cut it down. And as like a general point, it's a bit too long. Right. It's about um, hour 45 and you feel like a sort of tight 90-minute running time would have sort of done it. Yeah. And there's also like there are a few moments of like cinematic where there's like music and editing and it's, it feels like a, feels like a real movie it'd be like I don't know someone, someone runs to the airport or well not not so much in the plot but like the car and drives it a bit fast or something yeah like the opening has got this um, like great sort of drum score and it's like people working out and you're like okay here we go this is a movie and then there's like a few moments in that film where like it really lifts out of it I felt like there could have been more of that like there's a sort of long section where there's like no gets a bit dour yeah and it's almost like it was bordering on me sort of losing interest and it sort of picks up again. But at the same time, all that stuff is kind of part and parcel with it. It's all about the sort of messy uh, people making mistakes and making amends and then thinking was the making the amends the mistake in the first place. You know, it's deliberately a bit unclear cut and fuzzy. But that's also true of like the movie you know does that make yeah. sense yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. like uh, it's like is it quite successful is that the point you know just because something's real doesn't mean you have to show it you know if, like- if, if you're if you're watching a movie where they're all like kind of quiet desperate characters who don't really do anything extravagant then you're setting yourself a hurdle right away yeah i, I can't remember who said someone said some some famous person said something about how um if you want to make your movie exciting just like have a guy come in with a gun is that yeah true or something like that Hey. A guy, a girl, and a gun. Michelle Gondry said, "If your movie doesn't have a gun in it, it has to work twice as hard." Oh yeah, maybe I'm thinking of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's and, and it's like that's that's true, you know. Yeah, but on the whole, I thought it, I really enjoyed it. Well done, Bujalski. I haven't seen any of your earlier movies, but Computer Chess and this is good. I'm glad I spent four pounds. <laughs> I'm glad I spent my girlfriend's uh, iTunes account money downloading this film from iTunes. Cool. So that's available on iTunes forever. Snag and telephone a friend so you know 
where she's at. Right, that's enough now. Back to film chat. So enough of that boring eye house shit that you always bring into podcasts every week, Danny. Let's get some pro- proper blockbusters <laughs> in here. The kind of movies I go to see. You know, I'm. You know how we have that dynamic where I'm the uh, mainstream one and you're the art house one. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm like, with. let's see this film. It's in black and white. You're like, black and white. Black and white. Come on. What about all the other colours that exist? <laughs> Live a little, Danny. Yeah. Ugh, shades of grey don't count. So that's why. Um, that's why I went to see Spy. They've yes. got some preview tick preview tickets so this is one of those exciting occasions where you can be listening to the film chat interview while the movie's actually still in the cinema yeah so yeah Spy is a new movie from Paul Feig he's probably best known as the director of Bridesmaids and uh, he went on after that to make The Heat um, and that movie and Bridesmaids in this one all star Melissa McCarthy Paul Feig is sort of carving out a kind of uh, niche for himself as a guy making these broad comedies which are usually associated with a bunch of um, men hanging out but they're about women instead that's kind of his thing he's also doing the Ghostbusters remake Um, and uh, he's a talented smart man his movies are pretty funny so we are quite excited for this one Yeah. although I recently seen Heat and was slightly underwhelmed by it so it was you know I was curious interested to see um, what it was going to be like Melissa McCarthy plays Susan Cooper, who's a desk-bound drone in a weirdly dilapidated CIA office. And she participates in the exciting missions only by talking into the earpiece of glamorous spies like Bradley Fine, played by Jude Law. And after a mission goes awry, Susan has to leave her desk and get in on the gun-toting and car-chasing, much to the disgust of her absurdly macho, angry spy colleague... Rick Ford, <laughs> played by Jason Statham, in probably one of the most hilarious secondary character roles I've seen in years. So yeah, we we enjoyed this. It was quite a packed out preview screening. It was thundered with laughter throughout. Yeah, I it's. Say. I mean, the only criteria that matters is it funny, and it's like it's a consistently yeah. laugh out that's loud. That's only that's only the 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 main one. Yeah, it's like are you laughing? And it's like I was laughing a lot. Yeah, like pretty it's much constantly. really funny. Yeah, there, there's there's a few like real kind of like double up moments in it, and everyone else was really enjoying it. There's a few people who would even kind of cry out things. You know, yeah. there was some guy sitting somewhere to the left of us who would you could just hear him vaguely doing these like no really what <laughs> like there'd be some words in the like in the middle of it. Yeah, it's excellent. It's interesting to compare to The Heat, which I saw recently because um, Spy is a, a Bond spoof and The Heat is a spoof of uh, like a buddy cop, like yeah. le- lethal weapon-esque um, movie. So they're both these uh, kind of female-centric twists on a traditionally male like genre film. And uh, they have similar strengths and weaknesses, but Spy, I think it feels like he sort of learned how to do that a little bit better or something, and Spy's a lot better. Yeah, it's very true. I think one of the great strengths of the movie is that it's uh, its cast is excellent, but they're not so much like Rose Burns also in it, like alumni from Bridesmaids. Yeah, and so it's Peter Stefanowicz turns up, and there's some great some of the supporting comic characters are really great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Miranda Hart's like her first big movie, I think, and Jason Statham as previously mentioned, and like it's such a um like rich cast of like dramatic actors, and also I feel like Melissa McCarthy and Rose Byrne they're not they're not like comedy actors they're like character actors who are just really gifted at comedy yeah absolutely and yeah. so 
uh, Melissa McCarthy's actually giving like a very nuanced performance. Yeah. In, uh, there's all like a lot. It's very broad humor, like the big like laugh out loud moments. But I can't think of anyone who could sort of carry it in the same way. It's just uh, this cast is so much more interesting than I don't know, like a Will Ferrell movie. Like I've seen like I've like all those movies that came out in the early noughties. Like I've just seen those guys. Yeah, I don't exactly. Need to, I don't need to see. It's see like you know, you know everything that they can do. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just like just seeing these act, this cast all like uh, hang out. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, and Peter Serafinovich and Miranda Hart are quite cool additions, and they're doing their shtick from like British TV comedy and on this large Hollywood blockbuster comedy stage, and it really works. Yeah. Miranda Hart is the exact same character that she plays in her um, self-titled sitcom, except she works for the CIA. Right? That is just like that's a great idea. Yeah, you know, you take that character who's like. <laughs> You know, the kind of lonely, slightly frumpy, funny, cheerful woman yeah. um, from her sitcom. And it's just like, what if she worked for the CIA? Like, that's just funny. And uh, Peter Serafinowicz sounds like he wrote all his own lines and he's playing this ridiculous Italian Lothario. <laughs> and uh, I was just, I was, it was like a character from his, one of his sketches, but I was just laughed just looking at him every single time. And Jason Statham is spending the whole movie sending up his kind of transporter hard man persona. It's like, it's a genius bit of casting. It's basically yeah. just every character he's ever played, but just put in the right context. Yeah, yeah. He's always been playing this character, but they've just like dialed him up to 11. I think people have recognised for a long time the fact that there's something inherently funny and charming about about Jason Statham. Like in his uh, badass action movies, he is, he's not he doesn't do kind of overtly comic things, but he's there's something amusing about it. But, yeah. it. but in a way that isn't like doesn't make him an, a figure of fun, but is just kind of you know endearing. It's very charismatic. Yeah. Like there's that great bit in uh, the sort of homoerotic undercurrent throughout the Transporter <laughs> movies because they're so like OTT with the matchiness and he's always like taking his shirt off and getting covered in oil and having to fight a bunch of men and stuff. Mm. And uh, there's that great line where someone like he's got a girlfriend who's like Russian and uh, <laughs> she asks him if he's if he's the gay and he's like I am not the gay. <laughs> Paul Feig. He's the only person credited as a writer on the movie, but it, it sort of seems like he sat down with like a bunch of his friends and they all thought of, like, what is the most hilarious thing that Jason Statham could say in that <laughs> voice? Because almost everything he says is absolutely ridiculous yeah. and really funny. Yeah. I think another um, uh, the reason why the movie works so well is that even though it's sort of a spoof in that it sort of plays with tropes of these kind of movies... But it really uh, moves on from that, like, quite quickly. Because at the start, it was like, the woman who looks the least like James Bond has to do the same job. <laughs> yeah. That's only yeah. true of, like, the first, like, half an hour or so. And there's a, a good arc for the character in that she's very competent at her job, but she's yeah. lacking the confidence to... Exactly, she's, yeah. going she's from... kind of timid and worried that she won't succeed, but she's actually really good at that stuff. Yeah, and there's, like, a great uh, sort of Mission Impossible style thing of constantly doing different disguises, having to um, assume different personalities. Yeah. So it gives an opportunity for her to just, like, play her range of, like, can do timid really well, and then she has to be, like, sort of badass for the second act. Yeah. And this is, like, a succession of hilarious verbal dressing down she gives to various henchmen. Yeah, that's a sort of Melissa McCarthy special thing. Like, the whole of the heat is pretty much her doing that to various different characters. Yeah. In this one, it's sort of nice to see that pop out. Yeah, it's, it is based pretty much like a combination of all her previous different performances in one role. Yeah, it's so like, smartly put together. But, yeah, and I think that um, you're absolutely right that the sort of laziest way for the movie to go is to have her as the bumbling incompetent who's always like falling flat in her face. Um, but instead, they have her as actually a great spy who's just got to find the confidence to fulfill that role or something like that, which is yeah. a cool 
cool way to do it. And similarly, Rose Byrne's character, who is introduced as a kind of snooty, rich ice queen, also gets to do a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Like, there's a remarkably like three-dimensional character for this uh, ridiculous comic movie role. And uh, she is really, really funny. I wish I'd made this point with um, Pitch Perfect, but like with that movie, it's like there's the comedy and then there's just like the random plot stuff that has to happen for the scenes to take place. But with this one, they've like made a real effort for the like the situations to be set up in quite an elegant way. Like yeah. if there's like the plot is like a quite sort of it's like a standard James Bond movie plot but like kind of you know barrels forward at quite a nice pace yeah. and it's not like this is the scene where you have to expositionize everything yeah, yeah. you know everything's always funny you know yeah you and, know, I, and I like the fact that they, it, they they took care to make the action quite good it's quite competently done like the sort of fight scenes and the chases they're pretty well done and they also have jokes in them as well yeah it's nice the way that they took a lot of time like choreographing the fight scenes and making them cool looking and filling them with the jokes as well the other thing that I really liked about it is um, that his uh, Paul Feig's movies usually make a uh, point of being progressive in their sexual politics, and uh, this one is no different, but it's um, very well done, I think. And it's really refreshing to see this Bond spoof done from that viewpoint after um, Kingsman, <sighs> the uh, whipping boy of film <laughs> chat. Um, and they, it even ends with a kind of sex gag, which is... Like, hilarious which is re- which is a hilarious and is it you also feel good about it you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you, you, you don't you don't leave the cinema wanting to take a shower and feeling a bit sick and disgusted <laughs> um but it's it's making fun of exactly that same you know thing um from the bond movies that kingsman is making fun of but it like he's doing it correctly yeah and it, and it also doesn't make its male characters just buffoonish villains like Mm-hmm. It, th- that is the true a little bit, but it's all, but it's not um, completely true. So yeah, good, good, big, big thumbs up. Between this and Mad Max, <laughs> all my feminist leanings are ticked. Also, a girl walks home alone at night is also out of this curse. Oh yeah, I have a, like a feminist triple whammy. Just go see this Iranian vampire movie. This crazy action film. It's great comedy. Top it off with Spy. That'd probably like, be a great day at the cinema. This is good. Yeah, yeah. Do it. You should do it, guys. My favorite. Stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Spy was a last-minute replacement in the film chat roster this week because I got these preview tickets but originally we were going to see Man Up and uh, alongside results it was going to be a kind of rom-com special. Yeah, Man Up is the Simon Pegg starring a romantic comedy about this people meet and over a night they fall in love it's a bit of a sort of throwback movie seen by the trailer yeah and um, this got us thinking let's make some rom-coms yeah let's do it well it's a it's a growing uh, you know everyone always wants to see a rom-com and there's been a bit of a dearth of them Richard Curtis seems to have gone off the ball a bit so yeah about time was really shit yeah about it's time is a- like bizarrely pervy as well <laughs> <laughs> it's like about time is like he watched Groundhog Day and he's like I love the scene where Bill Murray like fucked that girl like if that's what I would do if I had time travel and like he just like uses time travel to like be incredible like I love it when up. men manipulate women into sex yeah I find so it hilarious like, he meets his wife but it's like the fourth time he's met her it's like really creepy yeah that is creepy anyway so we've <laughs> come up with some extremely non-creepy premises yeah, yeah. it's like a rom-com premise off yeah and I'm gonna read my my premises yeah and uh when our listeners are voting on uh whether you read the intro too quickly maybe they can also let us know 
who they thought had the better rom-com premises. Yeah. Okay, so here are mine. Premise one. A die-hard vegan breaks into a battery farm to free all the chickens, but becomes conflicted when she falls in love with the heartless but rakish farmer. That's my first <laughs> idea. <laughs> I love it. Second idea. Two daredevils connect on a charity skydive. The whole film takes place in mid-air <laughs> and plays at one-third normal speed because the jump only lasts half an hour. Halfway down, they realise one of the parachutes doesn't work, so they have to cling to each other. This oh. leads to sex. <laughs> yeah? Nice. So they break um, up as well. Yeah. And get back together at the end. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's brilliant. Perfect. I don't know how you work the jokes into a movie and you play at one-third normal speed, but... Um, premise three the wife of a Russian oligarch tires of her empty wealth and becomes a psychologist at a maximum security prison housing America's deadliest serial killers fish out of water comedy ensues she falls for an axe wielding maniac helps him get parole then they head to the UN to kill Putin (laughs) exciting (laughs) exciting third act climax yeah nice twist thanks Um, final premise the man inside the Mr. Blobby suit now unemployed (laughs) becomes obsessed with an injury claims lawyer from a daytime TV ad. When he finally tracks her down, she can't bear to tell him she's actually just an actress. He sues Noel Edmonds and convinces her to represent him. They lose, but they get together. <laughs> I just like the throwback to Noel Edmonds' uh, fun house. Was it, what was his show called? House Party? House Party. No, it was, it was Pat Sharp's fun house, Noel yeah. House Party. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting my 90s TV. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why, why but... That's... Yeah, so I got hung up on this one idea. The other idea, uh, my short idea is there's a couple, the wife has a terminal illness, she's going to die in a few months. Sounds hilarious. And the boyfriend, in the greatest act of love ever, just releases a play that will kill everyone on the planet. <laughs> the whole world dies with her. Nice. Including himself. That is romantic. Yeah. Yeah, and funny and then, as well. Um, the other idea that like, struck me, I was thinking about the movie P.S. I Love You, Mm-hmm. based on a book which uh, if you don't know is about this guy there's a couple the guy's got a terminal illness and passes away and the woman's uh, grieving and she suddenly gets she gets letters every month from him which is going to like guide her out of her depression into her new life and he yeah. signs off with P.S. I love you and uh, obviously struck a chord with a certain audience they thought it was super romantic but there's something just incredibly creepy about that yeah I'm going to help you get over me by never really going away <laughs> exactly it's so creepy so I thought that's a bit flawed, but I was like, the way to really help her, the widow get over, you know, your demise is to just convince her that you were like a dick to begin with. Nice. That's a so good idea. My idea for the movie is called P.S. Go Fuck Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this, exactly the same plot, but like, when she gets the letters, it's like a video of uh, him cheating on her with her sister, like a list of all the lies he's told her, like shit he's done, like horrible stuff. And she just realizes he was a dick and she's glad he's dead. That's good. The I, ultimate romance. He's like destroying his image of his himself. Yeah. In her eyes. And every letter ends with "P.S. Go fuck yourself." P.S. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. So maybe the first letter should just be a little bit. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. A little bit difficult. You yeah. know, just a bit like angry. Like you didn't really look after me that well when I was terminally ill. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was a bit uncomfortable a lot of the time. Yeah. And I don't really. Just don't really think you're that funny, and a lot of the time when I was laughing, I was kind of forcing it. Yeah, yeah. PS, go fuck yourself. PS, go fuck yourself. And then she's a bit like, oh, it's oh. sad, but I, you know, I wish I tried harder. I love you. Yeah. And then like the next letter comes, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, uh, you remember that time when you couldn't find any of your socks? It's because I like yeah. come in them all, <laughs> like when wanking, and I just threw them out. Yeah. <laughs> 
Blossom went, and she's like, oh, that's a bit gross, but I still love him, really. Yeah. And then it just builds up. <laughs> Next one, yeah. Yeah, it goes up from there. So that sounds like a great idea. The trailer for P.S. I Love You is one of the greatest trailers ever made. It is I a great trailer. Post it. Yeah. It's like, don't worry, baby, I'll never die. And then it's like, his life was over. <laughs> <laughs> the next the next of the trailer. Yeah. And also Jared Butler's Irish Jared accent. Jared Butler, why? Why? Nobody in that movie is Irish, and they go to Ireland. Like, Jeffrey Dean Morgan plays an Irish guy in it, and he's just, like, obviously from New York, you know, really struggling. Couldn't to find any Irish actors. Yeah. I think it's weird to try to set up your wife with someone else from the grave. Yeah. I'm not going to be doing that. Don't worry, baby. Just fuck this guy. He's lovely. Yeah. He's a lovely fella. I want you to know, Danny, that if I ever die, <laughs> I've got a, I've got like a whole set of different boxes, and every week on film chat, I won't be there. But you still have to record, and you just read out what I've sent in. You send me up like a new host. Yeah. And then it <laughs> will be P- P.S. Writing and let us know. That'll be- <laughs> God. So sad. Yeah. Well, you eventually introduced me to like you've groomed like your replacement, and you'll eventually like he'll come into my life. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it'll end with him hosting. The, the, the end of my letter will be like, "Go to the door and open it," <laughs> and just be this guy there, even better than me. I mean, okay. is that even possible? We've rambled on for quite some time. <laughs> okay. Um, Katie is uh, falling asleep. She's snoring quite loudly, and it's going to be a problem for the audio. So um, we have to wrap things up. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much. Too quickly. Bye. 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 Bye.